Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the social index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got David Temkin. He's the Director of Product Management, Ads, Privacy, and User Trust at Google. He leads the product management team responsible for ads privacy. His team is focused on delivering privacy-first monetization product changes driven by a changing regulatory environment and transparency control for ads all across Google's ad business. On the show today, we talk about, frankly, his role. What does privacy and the combination of privacy and trust mean? How does Google think about it? How should we as marketers be thinking about it? And what do we need to do with consumers to get them on board for this journey that we're about to go through? We also obviously talk about the removal and deprecation, if you will, of third-party cookies. And then we turn the tables like we do always, and we get to know David a little bit better himself. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with David Temkin. David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alan. I'm looking forward to this conversation and I don't want to give it away, but I want to ask you to tell me about your journalist activities around the dot-com era, because I think it has a lot of bearing on what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, it's a funny thing. During the height of the dot-com boom, and this was like 98 to 2000, if you remember those years, 
I'd been working in Silicon Valley for a while by that point. I'd spent five years at Apple and a certain number of years at another startup. And we pulled together all the people I knew around the tech industry. And some of them were engineers and some of them were designers and some of them were actual tech journalists. And we pulled together a print magazine, put together two issues. And it was like some combo of poking fun at the whole thing and the insanity of it. And a lot of techno paranoia which in retrospect is pretty funny. The magazine was called Information, two words, and the tagline was, every day computers are making people easier to use. I would say computers have had a lot of success in that since then, but just tidbits for relevant to this interview. The first issue had an article on cookies, and the second issue had an article on covert cell phone tracking. So some things never change. I, you know, I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> That is pretty Nostradamus-like almost for today's conversation. That's amazing. Let's get started. Tell me about your role. You're the Director of Product Management of Ads, Privacy, and User Trust at Google. What falls under that? So the industry is going through a what I would call disruption right now that's based on what we're seeing around privacy. And it all starts with changing user expectations for how private they're online experiences with ads in particular focal point. It's also related to just a growing consciousness of, well, tech plays a really big part in people's lives. And all of this has turned into other platforms are doing things in recognition of these changes. You're seeing regulators getting engaged. And we feel that it's time to kind of transition to the extent that we're able to transition Google's ads products and the ads ecosystem as a whole to a new place where it still offers very effective opportunities for marketing, very effective opportunities for publisher monetization, but it's much more user privacy forward. And we think those things can all be done in combination and that they're not a contradiction in terms. That's a big order. It's a really big order. For, for you to take on. Yeah, we're going to get it done tomorrow. We're halfway there. <laughs> That's optimistic, to say the least. Like, it's a lot to decouple, to figure out. There's so much involved in all of that. I have to note, in between your premonition, Y2K, and where you are today at Google, you were most recently, I believe, at Brave Software. And Brave, the browser, obviously, is very notable for focusing on security and privacy. Like, how do you even think about privacy and, and what businesses should be prioritizing when it comes to it? I think you've got to look at this from the point of view of what a user considers privacy to mean and how that's evolved over time. I think earlier it might have been something like, I don't want people to have my home address and send me junk mail in my mailbox. Like that would be an advertising privacy issue. And that's evolved into something where it's not really only about my email address and it's not only about my name. It's about things like being tracked and it's about the feeling that the user has that they're not being treated fairly. And this is super subjective. If you start asking people, what does it mean to feel like you have a private online experience? You're going to get each person's going to have a different rendition, but we do know that people are sensitive to certain themes. And we know that we got to approach it from that. On the marketer side, there's some similar issues, not all about tech platforms and advertising systems and ad tech. It's a general thing about the way people experiencing things online and their anxieties about it have changed and they've grown. 
and we need to think in, in user terms. It's less about, you could think of all of the regulations and the governmental involvement as downstream of the user concerns. It wouldn't exist without that. Oh, that makes perfect sense that it starts with the user. How would you describe, if you will, the state of user anxiety? Because to your point, it is it is totally subjective. I recently did some research on my own that asked people in the social media sphere, so not the general internet, but just related to social media, how much they trust the social media platform that they're giving their data to. And most people trusted their social media platform, despite what we hear in the popular press and news, which I found actually interesting. But at the same time, I know that in a specific application, if my marketing, whether it's retargeting somebody across the internet or other means, feels creepy, it's going to freak people out. I'm curious if you could just elaborate on like where you think users are today. So I think there's a spectrum of this. Now, I struggle with this myself. Twitter is not America. I think we all understand that. But so when you ask people who are the very online persona, how much do you trust your platform? Hey, I got a blue check. I trust it a ton. Sure you do. But when you go down to like more of a mass audience and, and particularly people who have disengaged with social media and they exist, that not everyone is literally on it. You see a spectrum and it may come down to when someone's less technical just this kind of floating anxiety of like, I have all this data out there. My whole life depends on it. Every aspect of my life depends on it. I don't know what's being done with it. I don't understand why I just received this ad. Didn't I just say that in the kitchen 20 minutes ago? Why is it on my screen? And by the way, those practices are not practices that we engage in. Are they physically possible? Yes, they absolutely are. Like we live in a very interesting era that way. So people will construct the mental model that is logical, is coherent, and is also wrong. Like you're listening to my voice or even something as simple as, well, Google is selling my data to, you know, let's say CNN. Otherwise, why would anything related to Google appear on CNN? Guess what? We're not. We don't sell data. That's not how it works. And yet that's a pretty logical conclusion based on what I see on the screen. And we understand that. It's a huge mountain to climb, right? To not only explain... Yes, it's physically that's possible given the technology, but the way the platforms work, it's not going to happen that way. <laughs> there were other signals, quote unquote, that people are picking up on that served you an ad in the place that you thought we were somehow listening to you. It's a hard conversation to have, frankly, not only between people that understand it, it's hard, but if just the normal everyday user, it's almost probably impossible. It's much, much like... Uh, a lot of the misinformation we see on the social media platforms, people believe what they see or what they want to hear in many cases. You're working inside Google to focus on ads privacy and user trust. If you were to advise marketers on how to convince their business that user privacy is important, where would they start? First of all, I think it'd be a good idea for a marketer to get a, an understanding of what's going on in the landscape around privacy and what's going on in the landscape around user perception of online marketing, just to give them a baseline. And understanding that a technological transformation is occurring, it's for a good reason, and that there are people working very hard to land something where we are all able to operate successful businesses. And if you're a publisher, you're able to sustain a free website under a circumstance where user privacy is paramount. In other words, like for someone who's in marketing, this may look at a casual glance to seem like these tech players, 
don't know a lot about what I'm doing. They're not paying attention to my needs. And they're simply, they're like, oops, accidentally kicked over the life support. That's not what's going on. These are happening for very real reasons. We all rely on people using the internet. We all rely on people trusting the internet. We all rely on people fundamentally using free online products. And having a certain amount of understanding of why and a basic understanding of where we're going, I think that's a good foundation for this. But just getting a good kind of accurate conception of that would help. Now, moving from marketers to the people that they're marketing to, how do you even think about getting consumers on board in this journey? I'll tell you one thing that we don't believe in. We don't believe it's viable to expect billions of people to educate themselves on the very detailed technical reality of how this stuff works. We do believe that a user's direct experience, what they see online, and what they're able to control about it via the product. And this is not about, go read the 10 pages of documentation. Like This is not that. No one does that. This is about direct experience of the product changing a user's mental model of how it works. And we think that's the biggest leverage we've got over time. It's not education. It's not, hey, look, we're private. Assertions aren't going to do it. That's one thing. Direct experience with the product is what's going to influence the largest number of users out there. The other things that are ultimately going to influence a large number of users start with experts and all their expert knowledge. But that goes through a few different concentric circles before it reaches what I would call a civilian. So you've got someone who is a privacy researcher. They're working at a university and they're in the computer science department. They're assessing the physical data properties on a mathematical basis on how private is this really? Is information leaking out? What can people do with it? Can they reconstruct an identity? And then a couple steps later, you're in tech press, people talking about it to a moderately technically sophisticated audience. And then you're in more mainstream press. Even people are talking to marketers and publishers who are monetizing, somewhat more mainstream. Finally, you get to someone who's, what's a browser? I thought that was a search engine. And by the time it gets to them, it's, yeah, actually, I, I think you can use that. It's private. I'm envisioning those those studies that hear all the time in the like food and beverage industry, that coffee is going to save my life today. And then next week, coffee causes cancer. Because of the, so many interpretations in between, we're always the popular press, the mainstream press in particular is looking for the headline. It's going to get people to come back. But hopefully we get it right with privacy. <laughs> and I think to your point, I agree with you, direct experience is probably our best bet, at least from a marketer standpoint as well, because it's something that we can actually impact, right? The products and services that we build. How is Google building transparency and choice and control into its ad products? When someone sees an ad, they are, at least Google served ads, you're able, you've got certain features. You can say, why did I get this ad? Who's this ad? Who bought it? I can say, mute this ad. And I can say, I want to report this ad. And these all give the users a kind of a feeling of control and agency, which we have found to be a real needle mover when it comes to trust. One point about privacy, we talked about privacy and trust earlier. That's in my job title. They're closely related. Privacy is a key component of how people in general think about, am I being treated with respect online? And the outcome of that is higher or lower trust. And so 
all of these things where we can give user visibility, but especially a sense that they have agency, they're not merely a passive receiver of these things, that's valuable. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. That makes a lot of sense. And you said, I could see the ad, I can mute the ad, I could maybe tell it to stop. Is that available today or is that things that are coming? Those are available today. In fact, what we have today goes farther than that. You can do things like entirely disable personalized advertising if you chose to do that. You would specify your interests or your targeting criteria for, for people to be able to reach you. Coming in, we're going to go a lot deeper on this. And you're going to be seeing some interesting announcements later in the year in this field. We do think this particular domain is a very good way to change users' attitude and sense of comfort in a meaningful way. And so this is starting with what we have right now is pretty good stuff and really valuable. What you're going to see going forward is more features, more depth, and more visibility. Speaking of tracking and cookies, <laughs> where we started the, the top of this program, the deprecation, if you will, of the third-party cookie, which has been controversial to, to many performance-related marketers in particular, feel like they've lost a toolkit, if you will. Curious how Google kind of came to that decision and, and what you believe the best path forward is going to be. Deprecation of deprecation. That's, a, that's another one of those words that makes the, it makes the whole thing just seem like, what are you guys talking about? How about the removal of third-party cookies? So I'll start by saying like, this isn't something that people at Google sat in a smoke-filled room, not that there's a single smoke-filled room at Google, and said, hey, we're going to get rid of third-party cookies. That's not what happened, is that over a long period of time, there was a sense of, I don't want to be tracked online. I don't want to leave footprints as I go from site to site. It's a significant area of user discomfort. And so if you're looking at one particular aspect of privacy as it pertains to advertising that users are uncomfortable with, this would have to be it, like top of the list. The rest of the industry have been doing things like you can see it at a platform level where they're making it impossible on a technical level to track. They're requiring that users say permission for this. They're putting their platforms into states where by default, it simply doesn't track. And you mentioned that I'd worked at Brave Software. That's right. Brave's product is you know largely designed around no tracking. And all of this is in the service of when the user is looking at marketing today, okay, you're looking at a certain website. It's well understood that you're interacting with that website and that website is receiving your clicks. No one considers that to be a privacy violation. That's just expected. It's intuitive. Top of the page tells you who you're interacting with, so on. 
when you're interacting with five different pages and there are 17 or 100 different invisible parties who are able to detect where you've been, that makes people uncomfortable. And they see indirect evidence of it and they get quite uncomfortable with it. So that's where it all starts. It doesn't start with Google saying autonomously, we're going to go do X and so on. Google's part in this whole story, and it's a long journey because this is one of the fundamental underpinnings of the web. It's been in place a long time. Google's part in this is to say, okay, we do have a leading web browser. We're going to make the change in this browser, but we're going to do it with care with regard to the advertising ecosystem, which enables certain things that are really important for users themselves. Google is the only big tech company that has a concrete incentive to sustain an open and free internet. And if you think about it, one of our core offerings is search, and search is more and more useful when there are tons and tons of of valuable sites out there. If those sites are unable to monetize and sustain themselves, that's not good for users. People like searching. They like having lots of information at their fingertips. If those sites were to disappear, migrate behind paywalls, that's a whole different landscape. And we clearly have direct alignment with a lot of users on that topic. So that's part of this mission here. It's not merely close the door on privacy and let it, let the chips fall where they may. We don't care about the free and open internet. No, quite the contrary, we do. If I'm a marketer myself and I'm thinking about the loss or removal of cookies, I, I like that wording so much better uh, than deprecation, but the removal of the third-party cookie, and I'm thinking about how do I get my campaigns to work as efficiently or as effectively as, as possible? And ultimately, how am I driving my revenue? What advice or how should I as a marketer be thinking about that in a new world where we're cookie-less? One thing that you know, I think is helpful here is to realize that technology is, is in constant rolling changes. And when you look at performance advertising, programmatic, and the rest of it, this has been a particular era that was facilitated by particular technology. The technology is changing and the tools that you will have at your disposal as a marketer are also going to change. That does not mean that they'll be less effective. So when you look at this, we're very early in this phase. Right now, people are hearing there's a proposal and we're about to take away this and put in place that. The new thing that's being put in place is not well understood. There's no proof in the pudding yet. What you're going to see this year you're going to see a set of results that indicate effectiveness of these. And as the proposals get refined, you're going to see increasing effectiveness. And that's where we're going on this one. In other words, yes, the tools are going to change. That does not mean that, hey, I'm not going to be able to do you know, effective marketing anymore. So it's, it may be like in a certain sense, oh, my toys are being taken away from me. But I don't think that's the right framing for this. As I talk to marketers, iOS change in particular, I think through a monkey wrench and people that were advertising across social media platforms, in particular Facebook. And you're right, the tools didn't go away, but the approach and how they might use those channels now from a marketing standpoint definitely shifted. And I think people are still experimenting and figuring it out. But it sounds like as you guys develop these proposals that in the future, you'll actually help marketers understand how to use the new version of whatever it is that you're coming out with. Is is that right? Yeah. I mean, you're going to see published results as they evolve based on published testing methodology. And they may start out being like, that's pretty technical. 
but they're going to get more and more consumable by marketers. I see where this is going. I see where I can do with this. And that, again, is going to happen over a period of time. It's just like that thing we were talking about. The privacy researcher knows this, and then it gets to a broader circle and the like. Gotcha. This is a difficult topic. And so I'm really excited. And thank you for coming on to talk about it. I'd love to switch gears, though. We we have a series of questions. I'd love to get your thoughts on it from a marketing standpoint. And it starts with a personal one, which is my favorite question to ask everybody. What experience of your past defines or makes up who you are today? I would say a couple things that kind of brought me to this place. And I'll focus on this particular role in this domain. I've been working in Silicon Valley a long time. I, I moved out to California to work on what was Apple's first mobile device, not the iPhone, but something called the Newton. Worked on that for five years as an engineer, came up that way. But my own background, I've always been fascinated by this idea that like computers can be empowering for people who are not technical and can be integrated into people's daily lives in a good way. Same kind of thing. So I mentioned the journalism bit here, and I've been doing that in college as well. It's always had a grounding in publishing and editorial. And so therefore, to a degree in advertising as well. And watching this whole industry evolve and almost come together, I would say like by the late 90s, you're almost seeing media and tech kind of merging. And all of these various experiences, the tech companies, including some that were publishers, like I was at AOL. I was running their mobile division. I think it was 2010 to 2013. We had a lot of editorial products. We had TechCrunch and Gadget, Huffington Post. My team was building the mobile apps for these and monetizing them. This entire trend here where computers did, in fact, when I look at early 90s, when I was started work at Apple, and what I remember how awkward it felt to have, oh, I'm using this weird handheld device in public. I look like a freak. Who would ever do this? And now you walk down the street and it's like, how do you get people to not do this? But there's a certain thing where I've found like that idealism, I think, has been powerful for me, both in trying to contribute to the positive outcomes, but also now in terms of maybe we're a little bit off the track that we ought to be on. And can it be brought into a little better place? That pure idealism, yeah, computers are going to be wonderful for people in their daily lives. There's certainly a dominant part of people's daily lives. Are they wonderful? Sometimes. That makes perfect sense. And it, they can be hugely powerful in many different applications. I think about my daughter, who for she's 14 now, but when she was young, I didn't think she'd ever know how to use a keyboard because <laughs> everything was on a, a tablet of some sort and swiping this and swiping that. And she looked like an expert by the time she was two and a half years old. Uh, and I was wondered if she would ever learn how to use a keyboard, which she has. But yeah, it's amazing what, what technology can do for people and how it can help them in their everyday lives. Not to you know shortchange people all around the world that improves their economic outcomes and health outcomes as well. So there's a lot of good. What advice would you give your younger self if you're starting this journey all over again? I'm going to give you a little bit of a flip answer, but one that is genuine. All right. Having lived through this whole Silicon Valley evolution over all these many years, I'd tell my younger self, you really ought to look into this area because it's going to be hot later. <laughs> and, you know, one of those things like, oh, invest in this stock 50 years ago. Unfortunately, there is a certain, I think that way. Wow. How did I miss that at the time? Are there topics you think marketers need to be learning more about or you're trying to learn more about yourself these days? I think we touched on a few of them here. And I 
over time, I'm wondering, right now we're talking about the domain of privacy and trust as it pertains to marketing general, the advertising experience and so on. And I think exploring new vantage points that are like, again, focused on the user. The user is not merely an object. The user is a participant. They have a seat at the table. They are a first-class citizen in this ecosystem. What are the best ways to engage a user and to make them feel a sense of satisfaction in completing the process? There is a sense right now that advertising is not on the side of the user. That's a common conception. And yet it works. And that kind of indicates that it is of value to the user. You know, thinking about that holistically, not just in terms of data privacy and control and transparency and these kinds of things, but also in terms of the actual ad experience itself, the experience of purchasing. Can it be better integrated? Can it convey to the user something where the user feels they have greater agency over time? What do you feel like is the largest opportunity or threat facing marketers today? I think the threat in terms of the the topics that we're addressing here is a potential outcome where in this drive to you say it's user privacy without regard to any other factors, that may turn into a threat. And I would suggest that marketers and ed tech and the aligned platform companies that think there's value in advertising, which we know there is, ought to be banding together and trying to avert that threat. And I think that we've got a good path forward that will do that. Well, and I think it, that what you just described coupled with making sure that we're keeping sight of the user and their agency through the process and balancing those two, we should be able to find a solution. We're all smart people. That's right. <laughs> so, all right. Speak well, for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm speaking for you. I'm speaking for you. It's all smart people. David, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know these are tricky topics. They're, they're constantly evolving and they'll evolve throughout the year and, and probably years to come. So thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with support from my team and podcast editors, sound engineers, and writers at Share Your Genius. Find them at shareyourgenius.com. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners. You can contact me on marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you will also find complete show notes, links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.